Welcome to Faith Church. My name is Pastor Dave. Glad to have you guys with us today. We're in our Bibles in Matthew chapter 6. You can find Matthew. It's over toward the right-hand side of your Bible in the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament. Uh, If you're new to the Bible, that's okay. We all had to learn at one point. I have a song that I still sing in my head when I can't find a letter or something in in the New Testament or one of those minor prophets in the Old Testament. I'm kind of like singing it in my head to find it. So uh, we all learn our whole lives. But we're asking together, why does Jesus matter today? Why does Jesus matter today? And today we see he matters because he invites us to know true treasure, true lasting treasure. I think uh, of generosity, of giving. You know, in these last two months of the year, uh, Americans generally, not just Christians, but Americans, are increasingly aware of opportunities to give. This is the season when every nonprofit hikes up their marketing attempts because they want you to know about the good work they're doing so that you can participate in it because there's something that happens around this time that we're more thankful that as a culture, we're more willing to give. It's an interesting thing. Uh, Christendom hasn't been all good, the effect of Christianity on culture and history, but this is one of those things that we can point to, <laughs> the result of our belief in a God who gave his own son at Christmas time, and how that's shaped our culture around us, to be generous. And the odd thing about this is, who tends to be the most generous? Proportionately, I think of a friend, and she is an alcoholic, she's in recovery. She's a Christian. She looks to Christ as her only hope and salvation. But she struggles. She struggles to keep a job. She's very poor. She doesn't have much. But she is incredibly generous, almost to the point of folly, (laughs) to the point where she wouldn't take care of herself because she would care so much to take care of her friend, her neighbor who has a need, because she has experienced it. She has experienced the absolute bottom of poverty. And she's experienced the love of Jesus, and she just wants to give. It's like the moment in Aladdin. Do you remember that movie in the 90s? Maybe you watched that with your kids, or you were the kid. I was the kid in the 90s watching Aladdin. And I remember Aladdin in Agrabah, and he's running from the guards because he stole a loaf of bread. Do you remember this? So he's on the run from them. He's going to get his hand cut off, because that's the law. If you steal, you have your hand cut off. So he's running for his life with his monkey, Abu, and they finally duck into a dark alley, and they're about to enjoy that bread that he just risked his life to steal. And he sees a young boy, even younger than himself, crying, whimpering, starving, and he gives him his bread. And the costliness of that, out of his poverty giving. I'm challenged by this. This picture, challenged by my friend who's so generous. Because I'm, I'm an affluent person. I'm doing pretty well. You guys take care of me. And even in my heart, I can be tempted toward a heart of stinginess, to a, a heart of holding on to what I have. Christmas, thinking about uh, what I can get for myself and for my family, the stuff that will accumulate, rather than how we might be a part of blessing others in God's kingdom. In fact, affluence hasn't really made us more generous, and it historically hasn't made anyone more generous. There's a rich young ruler in the Bible. You may know this story in Matthew 19. He's very wealthy. 
He looks like he has it all together from the world's standpoint. He was somebody who went to church. He knew the commandments of God. And when Jesus would ask this young man, do you keep the commandments? And the man says, I, I've kept them all from my youth. Well, Jesus says, I would, I would have you do one more thing if you would have eternal life. Sell all you have and go give your money to the poor. Oh, but at that moment, this young rich ruler, he went away from Jesus sad because he had great wealth and he treasured it. In Jesus' day, the people that he was speaking to were not wealthy, not anywhere near the level of wealth that we live at. They don't have a supermarket where they can go and always have food that they can buy at a relatively low cost. They're making very little. Some of our neighbors in the world today make incredibly little compared to what we make in the United States. Uh, my friend David, who's a fellow elder, he does ministry with a village in Uganda. And in this village, the average income is 30 cents a day. 30 cents. And yet they will share what they have with their neighbors. According to a, a, a source called Nonprofits Source, they do some research into giving trends among nonprofits and charitable giving. Uh, they, they claim that the Christian church today is giving less than it was in the era of the Great Depression. In the Great Depression, the average American, now we're not talking about the Christian church even, average American gave 3.3% of their budgets toward charitable causes, caring for their neighbors when they had so very little. Today, the average among Americans is 2.5%. Only 5% of Christians tithe. Majority, 80% give about 2% of our earnings. This is a challenge to think about. We who live in the most affluent age, the most affluent country in the world, are we going away from Jesus sad because he calls us to serve him even with our wealth? I wonder if we have misplaced treasure if we are laying up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, when we feel those feelings of greed, when we feel like, how dare he talk about my money, my hard and earned money? How dare he say that I should give it to anybody else? It's mine. I earned it. I work hard for it. Or maybe it's not that, that, that angry sense, that, that, uh, that true greediness that might come out at some of our worst moments but honest moments it might come out of us. For many of us, it's an anxiety. We're just anxious. Preacher starts talking about money, anybody starts talking about money, and we get anxious. Do you know that money, finances, is really the number one cause for divorce in the United States? Money issues, anxiety, frustration, anger about money. It's, it's a serious cause of anxiety among people. And here Jesus comes speaking into the very midst of all this, graciously, inviting us to know true treasure. So how could we have peace amidst all of our economic worries? That's what this passage addresses. And Jesus is going to call us, if we would have peace with all of our worries about money, to 
refocus around his kingdom. What does he say in verse 33? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the rest, all the rest will be added to you. That's what he says. And so in the first half of the passage, he's calling us to keep focused on heavenly treasure. In the, in the second half of the passage, he'll call us to keep calm about earthly treasures. Um, but in the midst of all this, I think we need prayer. I feel like I need prayer as a pastor talking to people about their money. So uh, I'm gonna pause and pray. Father, thank you for your grace to us. Thank you that you would speak about very real things, the very real things that impact our lives, the things that we don't wanna talk about you bring them up graciously and invite us to be reoriented to your truth and your kingdom. Please help us today. Uh, open our eyes to the surpassing worth of knowing you. Just meet us now by your word and spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the, the first half of the passage, verses 19 through 24, are gonna really focus on our heavenly treasure taking our eyes off of earthly treasure and focusing on heavenly treasure. But, but what do you treasure? What do you treasure? I think about the fact that I just moved and we moved all of our stuff, all of our treasures, all the little toys and trinkets in every corner of the house. It was like playing a memory game because you'd find one piece of a toy or a set or some Legos over here. And then I would probably, well, if Christina wasn't looking, I'd throw it away. But, you know, I'd pack it in a, in a box. I'd pack it in a box over here with, with this stuff. But then a week or two later, I find the other piece that was missing from that set over here, you know. It's all this stuff. And I know somebody treasures that little stuff. But to me, it's junk. And all of it eventually is going to wind up on a trash heap somewhere. We have a little dog. His name's Hero. And when our grandparents wonderfully bestow us with every kind of gift, our dog gets to enjoy it by chewing it up. It always happens. It gets left out on the floor and the thing gets chewed up. You know, a new puzzle, those pieces are gonna get chewed up, guaranteed. And yet, so often, we treasure these things. We're anxious about being able to get more of these things, to hold on to these things, stuff that the dog eats, stuff that we wish we could throw out when we're having to move. Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust or eating destroy. So the word for rust there, interestingly, in English translations, most often they've used rust, but everywhere else this word in the New Testament refers to eating. It's, it seems like it's more possibly referring to vermin, like rats and mice getting into your pantry and eating away at your stuff. Whatever the case may be, your stuff can get eaten up, it will get destroyed, and it will not last, and you will not take it with you when you die. But Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. And what does he say next? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Jesus says, you discover something about yourself when you evaluate what you do with your treasure. If you look at your monthly bank statement, you discover something about yourself. You discover what you treasured, <laughs> what you prioritized, and what we didn't. It's difficult, it's challenging, but Jesus said it. And Jesus calls us 
to focus on heavenly treasure. Focus on heavenly treasure. It's, it's like this. Jesus tells a story of, uh, imagine you're driving up Wilson and you're going to Fort Collins later today. I don't know, maybe you're going to go to Best Buy or somewhere up there. And so you're going up to Fort Collins. And off in the side of the road, there's a field. And you see a little glint of something. And you wonder, I haven't seen that there before. And so you, you pull over. And you decide, you look around, it's kind of odd walking out in the field because everybody could see you, but you decide, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to walk out there. And, and you look, and underneath some scrap metal, you see this big box, and there's a little bit of uh, sort of old, burnished sort of metal upon it that's holding it closed, and that's what was glinting, and you think to yourself, huh, I wonder what's in here. And so you pull out your pocket knife, you know, you get down there and you open it up, you manage to open it, you see gold incredible amounts of gold, more than you could ever imagine, a treasure worth millions upon millions, more than you'll make in many lifetimes. And you decide, I'm gonna just cover that back up. You look around, make sure no one's looking, and you, you go to the bank, you, you, you sell your house, you put it on sale so that you can afford to buy that field and have that treasure. That's what Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like this thing that if you encounter it, You've, you've encountered something of such surpassing worth that you would give up everything that you have, that you might have that treasure. Nothing would stand in your way if you truly saw it, what was before you. If you truly saw who was before you, Jesus Christ, sitting on the Sermon on the Mount, telling you in the midst of your poverty not to lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but to lay them up in heaven. If you saw the worth of the treasure before you, the one who is going to lay down his life, his perfect righteous life for you, to give you eternal riches in heaven. If you saw the worth of the one who is before you, who would give himself to you to be yours, your savior, your friend, through thick and thin to the end, who would give you his status as a son in the, in the presence of the father, Sinners, poor and needy. If you saw the worth, there's nothing that would stop you from giving him everything that is yours so that you could have him. And Jesus says, focus your life investment here. Focus on the kingdom of God. The rest will be added to you, Jesus says. I think it'd be helpful at this point to, to zoom out a little, to talk about the pattern for work, for money, that the Bible calls us to as believing people. In the beginning, God made man in his own image. Male and female, he created them, and he put Adam in the garden to work it and to keep it. He was doing good work before the fall. Work is a good thing. It's a good thing. And so we work. Proverbs chapter 10, verse three to five, it describes a faithful son who works in the time of harvest. He doesn't sleep in because that harms not only himself, but it harms his family, it harms his community when you're not working to serve others, caring for your family to the extent that you can, and even caring for those who can't care for themselves. Leviticus 19, where Jesus gets the teaching, love your neighbor as yourself. In the context, in verses nine through 10, there's a command to God's people not to harvest out to the edges of their fields, but to leave a margin, to leave a bit at the edges, 
so that their neighbors who were poor, who couldn't provide for themselves without this help, <laughs> so that they could come and glean and have some food to eat. The principle is to leave some margin at the edge, to not live to the fullness of the standard of living that we could so that we could help others. And in Genesis 14, Abraham gives us the paradigm of what's called the tithe. It's a tenth. He had just won a great battle and he had all this spoil from the battle. And he sees Melchizedek, this great high priest, a pretty awesome figure who just steps in there in Genesis 14. And then Psalm 110, you can read about him. And then in Hebrews, you can read about him. Worth a Bible study someday uh, to look into. But he gives to Melchizedek this high priest a tenth of everything. And from then on, this becomes a paradigm for giving, just faithful giving. The first thing off the top, we're going to give a tenth of what we have to the Lord. In the New Testament, interestingly, Christ who came to fulfill the law and the prophets doesn't re-up that command about the tithe. And so I'm not sure as a pastor that I can tell you that that's the new covenant command for Christians to tithe, but I can tell you that Christ actually calls you to give all <laughs> because everything is the Lord's. And he's claimed you. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's your spiritual worship, everything. You know that God owns everything. The cattle on a thousand hills are his, Psalm 24.1. There is nothing in the whole universe that doesn't rightfully belong to the Lord, its maker. We are his and Jesus is inviting us to be reoriented to that fundamental reality <laughs> that when things are truly at peace, the only uh, way that we can live in that reality is if we realize that we belong to God. Our things are not our own. You can't serve two masters. Jesus has this odd expression there in the middle of the passage here. In verse 22 and 23, and if you find it confusing, you can be comforted because uh, in the commentaries that I read, uh, folks who get their PhDs uh, studying the New Testament are confused about it too. And so in verse 22, Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? It's an odd expression. What it seems to be saying, the best I can make of it, Jesus is coming off of just having said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And then he talks about your eye. Where are you focused? It seems as though the focus of our life brings a sort of light into our bodies, into our lives. Is that light true light? Is that light the light of the kingdom of God? Is that light the truth of the gospel? that all things belong to the Lord, that I am his, he is mine, he is true treasure? Or is that light that I want stuff? Is it the Mint app on my phone that I constantly check? It's good to be financially wise. It's good to be a good steward of your resources. But there's a point where we step off into the ditch of caring so much about this that we become fearful to give up anything. We become lovers of money. The Bible never says money is bad, but it says money is dangerous. 
and the love of money is a source of all sorts of problems, Paul says. We start to focus on all of these things we want, the things we've got to have, and it can fill our hearts with a sort of darkness. And we find ourselves in chains because we're serving this other master. But Jesus says, you really can't serve two masters. You're gonna serve one or the other. And so, what now? I think of when I was in seminary, I was not making much money. I was working several jobs so that we could make things work. We had kids at home, small ones. And with Christina being at home, I was just doing whatever I could to help us get, get through. There were many times where we overdrew uh, our account in that time. We had all those overdraft fees, a lot of calls to the bank, please forgive me. <laughs> you know? and a lot of times they were gracious, sometimes they weren't. And I was learning you know, that hashtag adulting uh, is not easy. And I remember there was a, a season where I didn't give to my church for months because I was just nervous to give. And I talked to my pastor, his name was Zach, and so I'm talking to Pastor Zach, and it was heavy on my heart because I know, I know these verses. You know, I read the Bible before I went to seminary, you know, uh, as I hope you would as well. And I knew that I was called as a disciple to lay up for myself treasure, treasures in heaven. And so I tell Pastor Zach, I haven't given in months. I was shocked when he wasn't mad at me, when he didn't shame me, but he just said, well, David, what if? What if you gave a dollar this Sunday? What if you give a dollar? And then he said, what if you give $2 in a few weeks? and just see where the Lord would lead you. What, what is a faithful amount that he would call you to give in this season? Just take steps toward it. Let him loosen your hands around what you have. And I'll, I'll be honest, I was able after that to realize I could give more than a dollar that Sunday. I don't know where you would be this Sunday. If, if you heard a God talker like me talking about giving your money, I can understand that raises anxiety. And for some of you, if you were called today to give a full tithe, 10% of all that you earn, it'd be hard for you to feed your family or yourself because of the way you have your life structured right now, because of debts, because of all the realities of life. But Jesus, <laughs> he just invites you, he frees you to just step into him in faith. You can, you can take a small step it might be a dollar, it might be two. For some of you, you give a tithe very, very comfortably. It's very easy, it's no problem. And maybe Jesus would call you to even take a step in faith <laughs> to ask, how might I give even more? Not out of obligation, God loves a cheerful giver. He loves it when you give not out of compulsion, but because of love, because Christ has given himself to you and he is your treasure. Just responding to that, you long to serve his kingdom, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness because he's transformed your life and you've seen surpassing worth, surpassing treasure in him. And you want others to experience that too, so you find ways to invest in his kingdom. 
It might be a church planner in Chicago. It might be a world missionary effort. It might be your local church where the gospel is proclaimed. Give what you can and give thanks for what you can give. We create space around the edges. That might be a small step. We, we, we reevaluate the way we spend. Where, where might there be edges where we could give more to the kingdom of God, even in this season when you may not have a lot? Take steps toward faithfulness. How can we have peace in the midst of economic worries? We refocus on Jesus, our eternal treasure. We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And secondly, we keep calm about earthly treasure. So first of all, we focus on heavenly treasure. Secondly, we keep calm about earthly treasure. Jesus is a good pastor. He's aware that as soon as he brings up treasure, everybody's getting anxious. When the pastor starts talking about money, everybody's nervous. And so what does he say next? He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Deep breaths. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he gives these odd commands. And notice their commands. He says, look to the birds of the heavens. And then in a few verses, look to the lilies of the field. So later today, Faith Church, go look at the birds. Consider them. Consider how God cares for them. And aren't you of more worth than some sparrows? You are. You are. He didn't spare his own son. He loves you. He would spend all the riches of heaven to have you as his own. He cares that much for you. Don't worry. Look at the lilies of the field. This, all, all of the things are browning around us, you know, as winter comes. And, and realize that these lilies that the Lord would beautify, all of the wildflowers that we get to see when you go on a hike in the mountains, those things that dry up and die, and they can be thrown as fuel for a, for a fire when they're dried out. God would so clothe them and adorn them with beauty, and how much more will he care for you? Oh, you, Jesus says, of little faith. Little faith ones. We can all be little faith ones, struggling to trust. A small step we might take if we would invest in the kingdom of God and his righteousness, if we would take a small step and, and trust our God, we might seek first to orient our budget around the kingdom of God. So I have not been good at budgeting throughout my life. I'm, you know, if you were going to grade me, it'd probably be like a D. Uh, so uh, not great at budgeting. But one thing that I've learned since early on in my life is just the thing to put up first at the top. 
when we plan out how we're going to do our life together, Christina and I, we try to put our giving. <laughs> we give to our local church. We, we give to some missionary efforts. We give to a nonprofit that serves kids in hospitals. We try to have money for hospitality so we can have people over and welcome them and bless them. Those are just some of the things that we've tried to put first. And yeah, it's just a simple way. I'm not saying that you need to go whole hog and you know, get the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University. It might help you a lot, for the record. It's helped me a lot. He beats you up a bit, but it's, you know, for me at least, I need it. So, but first, seek the kingdom of God. Orient your life and your budget around that, and don't worry about the rest. Imagine this. Imagine if you decide to give, and in a month or two, you find that you've been, you've been overspending. But first you've been giving and you realize you come to a moment where you don't meet a financial goal or even you've, you've overdrawn, but you know that you've been able to invest in the kingdom of God. Think about this. There's the dot and there's this line. Randy Alcorn's a pastor and he wrote a little book called The Treasure Principle. And in that book, he talks about the dot and the line. And the dot is your life. The 78 years average or so that you're gonna live and I'm gonna live on this little planet that God made, it is like a dot. It's a speck of dust. It's like nothingness in the scope of eternity. There is a line that goes on forever and ever 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 and ever. And God is welcoming us to life with him forever and to proclaim the hope of life with him forever to our neighbors through not only our words, but also our ways and our means. When we can invest in his kingdom, we're, we're, we're casting bread on the waters and the ripples are going on to eternity through the proclamation of his gospel. And so if you are prioritizing in your life ways that Christ is proclaimed, ways that his kingdom is being advanced, you can have peace can have peace. So what? You don't meet X goal. So what? You have one less cup of Starbucks. You know? Keep calm about your earthly treasures. First, seek the kingdom of God. The Gentiles are other than Christian neighbors. They worry about all this because they don't know this treasure. But you do. Jesus ends this passage with perhaps a little bit of a point of realism. And he says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. One of the, the things that we might come away with if we only read the preceding verses is that no matter what, all the time, God is going to meet the needs that I have. But Jesus ends with this sobering note of reality. No, there will be anxiety tomorrow. There will be trouble. We wonder, uh, I've wondered uh, at times, early on in my life uh, as a Christian, there was this assumption, and I... I I could remember thinking it at times or maybe even stating it when we would talk about prayer. 
And I would think that God would give me all the things I pray for that I need, but not necessarily what I want. He'll give me what I need, but he won't give me what I want. But there are times, there is a day of trouble when God doesn't always give even what is needed. I think of uh, Basunju Village and my friend David and uh, his friend Michael that he's met there. And he's, he's ministering to Michael who lives in Uganda in Basunju Village. And last year, after the COVID lockdown began in Uganda, they couldn't leave their village. They had no means to get their 30 cents a day to try to feed themselves. And they were all starving in this village. Not starving like we say starving in America because we haven't eaten in four hours. They were starving. They were going to die. Distended bellies, flies crawling across the child's eyelash. That kind of a picture. And because of some people who are on fire for Jesus and who are seeking first the kingdom of God. Michael, who last year, when David asked him how he's doing, he says, we are breathing. We are breathing. We love Jesus, but we are only breathing. This year, because some individuals have have sought first the kingdom of heaven on behalf of this little village who have given out of their means, this village is fed And no longer is Michael just saying we are breathing. He's saying we're going to build a church. (laughs) But I tell you, it doesn't always end that way. I just recently did a funeral for a family, and they were celebrating the faith of this dear woman who's gone on to be with the Lord, a woman who struggled right up to the end because of sickness, (laughs) not eating, not drinking for days, And in the pain, calling out in in the hospital bed, Jesus, help me, Lord Jesus, help me. Poor in spirit has nothing in this world. And she has everything right now. And she has everything. Even in that moment, calling out for Jesus, he was her all. Jesus asked this question. It's a shocking question if you let it hit you. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I can't come and say this to you, you know? Kenneth Copeland, dressed up in a a Versace suit, can't say this to you with any credibility. Is not the life more than food? But Jesus, the one who has all the wealth of heaven and gave it all up, becoming poor for you, laying down all of his riches and his own life, unto death for the joy that was set before him. He went to the cross, despised the shame, and now he is seated at the right hand of the Father on high, and he invites you to come with him to know true treasure, to know true joy in his kingdom. Wealth that will never end. It won't be eaten by your dog. Jesus will be yours forever. And that's why he matters today, because he invites you to know true treasure, true wealth. So I'm calling you to look to him and take hold of him today, Faith Church. I'm calling you to look to him, dear neighbor, who's skeptical of God talkers talking about money. I get it. I can feel that. But Jesus is different. Take hold of him today. Let's pray. Father, Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for this gospel. Lord, we're not entitled to 
anything. And yet you have given us all things in Jesus. We are rich because of you. And we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.